Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicles Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Moira O'Neill and joining me on the show today is my colleague Kate Bearley. We're also delighted to have a special guest in the studio. Alan Miller is Chief Investment Officer and founder of SCM Direct. In today's show, we're going to discuss the stocks that actively manage UK equity fund managers either love or loathe. We'll also look at exchange-traded funds that give access to niche sectors of the stock market. I'm going to take a look at British Empire Trust. But first to the big story that broke this week, the Financial Conduct Authority, that's the regulator of financial firms that provide services to consumers, has launched an investigation into competition among asset managers. The study is going to look into whether customers are getting value for money from their fund managers. And it's also going to look at whether fund managers can control their costs. So, Alan, I know that both of of these subjects are dear to your heart. And I think we should um, first declare that you've worked in the funds industry as an active fund manager. And you're now managing portfolios of exchange traded funds, which are more low cost vehicles. So what's your view? Do you think investors um, do get value for money from the funds industry? Well, in short, no. I mean, the the main problem is, is that most investors, unfortunately, don't realise the full cost of their investments and that's particularly true if you think about it when people are investing through wealth managers because most people kind of normally told it's only one percent or whatever but by the time you've added up all the other costs whether it's the dealing costs or putting it on a platform or maybe even an advisor cost and you actually add them together quite often you get two and a half three and a half percent per annum which is nearly three times what they're probably actually being told by the person who have sold them their investment at the beginning. And it, I think it's a shocking indictment on the FCA. If you think about it, the FCA's job is to regulate the investment industry. Now, if it has to do a study when it's presumably been doing this job for quite a few years and it's going to take it until 2017, by which time, thankfully, there will be new legislation coming out of Europe which will actually do the job for the FCA anyway, where you will actually, for the first time in 20 years, see the total costs from beginning to end. All right, so, so investors, investors are going to get clarity anyway. They and will get coming. it. Yes. It's coming. Yes. I mean, the whole thing is slightly ironic, particularly when you think about it. it doesn't, the study doesn't even look, as you've rightly pointed out within the Investors Chronicle, when you actually look at it, it doesn't actually cover IFAs. And it doesn't cover wealth managers. And 80% of the public tend to invest via wealth managers or IFAs. So it is quite an astonishing study, if you like, because what is the job of the FCA? It's to actually hopefully to enforce and improve, not to spend its whole time studying. Now, a lot of our readers won't be using IFAs or wealth managers. They'll be they're what's called self-directed, so they're doing it, doing it themselves. And a lot of them will put, put funds in their portfolios and hold them on platforms, yes. which, you know, platforms introduce another layer of charges. How do you think people should be looking at their portfolios and trying to reduce costs? I mean, what well, advice it, do you have? Well, the, the platforms will be, will be covered by this, but I think it's important when people are investing via platform. Because when you invest via platform, what's shown, if you like, in the highlights is the price of the fund. And what's not really ever shown is that added to the particular platform. So often you can find that it looks like the fund is cheaper on one platform than another. 
But by the time you've added on that particular platform's costs, it actually could be more expensive than the alternative. So I, th- I think people have to be very careful and look at the sum. And also, even within the funds on the platform, some funds are very, very heavily traded in, in buying and selling shares. And that cost can often be as much as 50 or 100% of the reported cost. And you will not see that currently, but you will see that, thankfully, in a couple of years. Right, so because of this European European legislation, legislation. so those trading costs are going to be clarified. And they're going to be, this has always been the debate within the industry, is actually going to be added up to the other costs. Whereas for the past few years, we've had this ridiculous debate where the industry has said, well, we won't tell you the cost until after you've invested. And then we won't tell you these costs because we think these kind of change from year to year. And therefore, it would be misleading to tell you. So there's a, this insane debate that's come out last few years will be finally put to bed thanks to the European regulator. Now what about the uh, closet tracker fund issue where a lot of active fund managers are actually hugging the index and replicating yeah. sort of index performance but charging higher fees than a, than a passive fund would charge. Do you think the regulator is going to address that and will the European legislation address that? Well, the the European legislation doesn't address that issue, and there has been um, announcements that the European regulator is looking at it. I mean, this is a feature of the industry for years and years and years. Uh, We published research earlier this year where we found nearly a third of the UK industry was involved in closet indexing. And some of the funds we found were labelled as, say, a growth fund, but then its holdings were virtually identical to the market. So it wasn't really a, a growth fund at all, whilst it charges three, four times what a typical index fund would charge. And I think it's about time, in a way, the regulator kind of addresses properly. But a part of the problem for retail investors is that if you want to actually look at what you hold and what you invest in, it's very, very difficult because the holdings normally are shown at just the top 10. That's typically 40% of the fund and quite often that will be three three months uh, or more out of date and the full holdings you won't see until the annual accounts which is over a year out of date quite often. Now I mean Neil Woodford who's one of the um, best known fund managers in the the UK he actually threw down the gauntlet a bit Mm. on this issue by showing all of his holdings on a monthly basis not many have followed suit though Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think good good on him for doing that because um, a number but we've talked about this for years because in the US once again the rules are far more advanced than the UK in the US every single fund has to show on the internet all its holdings every three months. I mean, every quarter with a 60-day delay. Whereas in the UK, you don't have it online and you have to wait a year and a half, basically, to, to, to know what you've actually invested in. So good on him for actually kind of having the transparency to, to do that. And it's a great shame the UK regulator, again, hasn't addressed this issue either. Now, I mean, moving on a little bit, we're going to look at um, uh, actively managed funds. But this week, we've been looking at, at the UK fund managers. Um, so the fund managers are managing funds that invest in UK stock market listed companies. We've actually spoken to a few fund managers in the UK equity income and the UK all companies sectors to find out which companies they've been buying yeah. and which they have been selling. So, And, and there, are, there is a difference of opinion. So that does show that there is yes. some active management oh, yes, going on course. there. I mean, um, the majority 
majority is actually managed, <laughs> these are the minority, but it still doesn't make it right. And, you know, it's fair that investors get what it says on the tin. If it says it's active, it should be active. Yeah. I mean, Kate, you, you've written this um, piece which looks at um, the, the stocks that fund managers love or loathe. Um, which companies have really been dividing opinion? Um, I think the ones that have been most contentious are things like BP and Lloyd's. So those companies where the dividends have been quite strong, which have very high yields, but there are these big kind of question marks about the sustainability of that going forward. So with BP, you've obviously got the the massive oil price issue. And while they have come out and said that they're going to maintain the dividend despite falling profits, a lot of managers are saying, you know, how is that sustainable going forward if oil doesn't come up quite a lot? So there are some people that really love it and some people that really hate it. And the same with Lloyd's, so many regulatory issues still facing banks. So, I mean, on the on the plus side, you've got people saying they have a better capital position now and can they really be faced with any more fines? And on the downside, yes, they probably could. And it's, it's you know, still a bit of a worry for, for high street banks and, and investment banks in the UK as well. I actually thought the section in your article about what fund managers think about the challenger banks was particularly interesting. Um, these are the banks that are making the most of some of the reputational and financial damage that the mainstream banks are still reeling from. Uh, and, you know, they've come in and there were a few nice companies mentioned there. Can you talk us through a couple of them? Yeah, so Virgin Money is, is a very popular one. It's just started paying dividends. So that is one of these kind of new like upstarts, I guess you'd call them, which doesn't have that reputational kind of issue and, and it's quite new but, but gaining popularity. And there's also one savings bank whose shares have, have soared recently. And they're kind of entering the SME, um, small medium enterprise uh, territory and, and doing quite well both in terms of earnings and, and you know, growing their customer base. Alan, what do you think about opportunities in the financial sector? Do you think it's, you know, it's obviously there's lots of divisions of opinion on Lloyd's, for example, but, um, you know, is, is it a good sector we should be looking at? The financial sector generally has has had its kind of moments in both directions. Some of the valuations are quite low. You know, I would have said you either stick to uh, individual managers that you trust, or you think I've got a good record in this area, or you invest in a kind of well-diversified index fund, and that, that, that's the decision really that kind of most investors have. And I'm not saying one is better than the other; they're, they're just different, have different advantages and disadvantages. On the sort of tracker um, index fund issue, we've actually been looking again at, this week at. Um, uh, sectors that you can play using exchange traded funds I mean there's been a lot of innovation in exchange traded funds area and there are um, th- these are low cost passive investments that are traded on the stock exchange and it's now possible to buy exchange traded funds that target um, highly specific sectors and Kate you've been looking at this development what products look particularly interesting well yeah it's basically there's there's been quite a big fanfare about this new cybersecurity etf it comes on the heels of one in the us which has been massively popular and uh, its ticker is hack don't know if that's behind its popularity at all but um when that kind of came out 12 days i think before the sony hacking scandal broke and that meant that money just flooded into it because the cybersecurity issue was right at the forefront of people's consciousness i guess and still is. I mean, hacking is a, is a big issue facing companies all over the world. So it's quite a compelling narrative. So we've got this new ETF securities, cybersecurity ETF listed in the UK now. 
And but, its ticker is equally um, yeah, yeah. exciting, I isn't it? <laughs> I spy. I spy, yes. yes. So obviously, there's a compelling story there. But what I had a look at was the difference between going into an ETF, which is kind of on vogue, I guess, or a fashionable um, sector, and an ETF which is maybe in a cyclical sector. Um, and I think there is a difference between those two because I think you could argue that one could be a fad and one is a highly, highly concentrated bet. I mean, there's only 33 constituents in this index. Compare that to something like utilities or financials, which we're more used to thinking about as kind of coming in and out of fashion, but in, in a way that kind of makes sense as a much broader narrative, I guess, of interest rate rises affecting utilities and financials. And I think there's a difference between backing something which you know is going to kind of come in and out of favour and backing something which is suddenly very highly valued because everybody's talking about it, but not necessarily because the company fundamentals are that strong. Alan, um, what do you think of the these new niche uh, exchange-traded funds? I mean, investors will get excited about uh, iSpy being in yes. their portfolio, but is, is, is it sensible? I suppose kind of like the uh, the latest James Bond film, they're licensed to lose money, really. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you look at the underlying securities within iSpy, I, I looked at this on, uh, on Bloomberg uh, the other day, and 20% of them were loss-making. And the average valuation was about 44 times earnings. I mean, as you rightly say, Kate, there's a difference between investing in a broad sector and something which is niche and a fad. It doesn't mean it can't go up further. It just normally means that when it's launched, tends to be the, almost the peak of popularity. And therefore, the stocks are probably going to be close to the peak in terms of valuation. So even though, obviously, there's a fantastic outlook for cybersecurity and companies benefiting from that, it doesn't mean you actually will make money in those shares starting from today's valuation. Is there anything that you would um, look to instead in terms of sec- broader sectors? Well, I think there's a lot of merit, if you like, for things like, for example, biotech or healthcare, where you may not want to have the kind of individual risk of product failure to get the advantages of diversification and the, and the long-term kind of demographic, demographics and potential and using a kind of sector index in that instance. The same with technology. Do you really know, you know which mobile phone company is going to be in or out of favour or which computer company? So again, to, to get, if you like, the overall market growth and reduce the individual risk makes a lot of sense. But I'd just say kind of you always need to look at what you're actually buying and the underlying value, and how well spread that index is. And going back to one of the issues we talked about earlier, you can actually see that in, in an ETF. You can see yes. all the holdings in, and the in holdings. relation yes. to the index. So that's quite interesting no, in it, itself. It's, it, it's, you know, as long as you know what you're buying, there's nothing wrong with buying any, any of these funds. And it's great that there is this increased choice. People kind of criticise ETF industry for having all these products. But actually, they give consumers a choice. But it's just up to the consumer to be careful what they're buying and to look through it uh, you know what the valuation is what the potential is and how well spread it is and i think there's another point as well that if you don't look carefully enough you might find that actually you've got the same thing in three of your etfs and suddenly your exposure to you know cisco systems is massive because you hold it in in another us tracker so i think it's it's a point of being careful that you're not kind of doubling up on a load of stocks as well 
Yeah, I mean, that, that can happen if you hold a lot of um, equity income funds, for example. And a lot of, we see a lot of um, investors who do hold a lot of similar type mm. um, funds in the hope that, you know, altogether their fund managers will be successful. But really, it's just they're ending up with an index yeah, exactly. fund. Exactly. Yeah. You just have a very expensive index fund because, you, like you were saying earlier about, you know, the different views on Lloyds or Shell, if you put all their funds together, you're going to have the index weight in Lloyds and Shell. So what is the point? putting all these different funds if they all got completely different stocks and you just have an expensive index fund. Looking at the, the full spectrum of different types of funds this week, we've, we're actually looking at an investment trust as well. So investment trusts are actively managed funds that are traded on the stock exchange. Um, British Empire Trust is a long-standing member of the IC's top 100 funds. Um, you may know it as British Empire Securities and General Trust, but it's recently changed its name and named a Joe Barenfreund as lead manager and successor to John Penning, who had run the fund since 2002. And over the past five years, British Empire has actually underperformed global indices and other global sector investment trusts. That's on average. But the new manager says the main reason for this is its value style of investing. Value investing is the philosophy of investing in a company when its share price undervalues its intrinsic worth. And you've probably heard of some of the great value investors such as Warren Buffett or the late Benjamin Graham. Over the long term, the manager has told us this week that he expects British Empire Trust the focus on quality companies and cheap valuations to result in strong performance. And he also says it's a bad time in the cycle to give up on value investing. To quote him, history is littered with managers who have capitulated at the wrong time. So, Alan, what do you think? Value, is it a style that's going to come back in? What do you think about the performance of this trust? I would agree and disagree with half and half. I mean, I would agree that if you look at MSCI value, for example, as an index, it has significantly underperformed growth stocks. And over a very long term, value tends to outperform growth. So he is right there. But on the other hand, if you actually look at the trust, I think it normally buys something like 40, 42 stocks. Well, if you actually think about it, if you're stock picking, there's thousands and thousands of value stocks. You can't blame the underperformance on on the fact that value stocks have underperformed. It's because you've picked the wrong stocks. And I was looking at it uh, recently. If you look at the performance of that fund, for example, over the last five years, the MSCI value index... Uh, has risen 58% and the funds has risen 10%. So had you actually just tracked, if you like, the global value index, you would have done uh, significantly better than the fund. So there's been some wrong calls made there, which we talk about in, in the issue, such as the lack of exposure to the US and holding too much cash, which the manager's hoping to sort out, but we'll keep a close eye on that one and report back when we see any changes. So I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Thanks to my colleague Kate Bealey of the Investors Chronicle and to my special guest Alan Miller of SCM Direct. You can read more about UK funds niche ETFs and British Empire Trust in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle. Thank you for listening. 
Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus.